are thankful for the Word of God. Let's give him another hand this morning. Come on, it's good to be in the Word. You're the Bible. Don't know how it's going for you. It's going good for me for, on most days. Uh, most days I'm doing pretty well. There's some days though I'm just barely making it through Leviticus. I'm just telling you right now, I'm just like, good Lord, what is going on here? We were hanging out with some of our pastors this last week and one of them was, was talking about how much God had been speaking to him as he's been reading through Leviticus, my first response is, you sit on a throne of lies, my friend. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then he went on to just talk about the detail that the priest had to go through in presenting these sacrifices to God and how they would never dare to just come to God casually. Um, they wouldn't come flippantly. They didn't take it lightly that they were coming into the presence of a holy God. And, uh, and of course, we also talked about the fact that Jesus came and fulfilled all the laws so that we could approach God without all those sacrifices. Thank you, Lord, because we've been running out of way too many cows around here. Uh, but uh, it just reminded him and, and then reminded me as well just how thankful that we can be. It also reminds me that I don't ever want to take it for granted, the presence of God. Look, he's a holy God. He's a holy God. He created the universe. He's, he's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's sovereign. And I just never want to be in a place where I just casually, flippantly come into his presence. But out of a heart of thankfulness because of Jesus, to always approach him with reverence and say, God, I'm just thankful I'm so thankful that that Jesus, because of what he did, we can come to him so easily. But I also want to come to him with with respect. I want to come to him with honor. Because he's holy, amen? We're also in the book of Mark. And Mark, as I mentioned before, is probably probably written for Peter, maybe at the instruction of Peter. But there's there's an ongoing theme in Mark. and, And really what it is, is it's showing us that to follow Jesus, it requires movement. It requires action in our lives. You've got to move forward. You can't just be still. We have a faith that is alive. There's a lot of words that give indications of this, like come and follow and go and obey and sin. This isn't a faith where you just get to sit around and do nothing. It's a faith that takes some action. Later on in Mark in chapter 16, Jesus actually says, go everywhere in the world and tell the good news to everyone. Everybody say everyone. That means even the people you don't like, even the people you don't get along with, it says go everywhere and tell everyone. The thing is, we can read this through our eyes now living in modern times and it seems okay. Yeah, that seems realistic. But as the disciples were hearing this, look, at that point it was literally impossible for them to go everywhere. 
Uh, they didn't even have decent sea-bearing ships. They, they, they had fishing vessels. They couldn't get across oceans at this point. You know, they, could, they couldn't get to Australia or Latin America, anywhere else. There was no Royal Caribbean at this point. You know, they couldn't just get on a boat and go anywhere. They didn't have modern technologies. They didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles. Those aren't two pills. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, they didn't have a lot of this. Some of you will get that later. Watch the movie. Then you'll understand what I'm talking about. Uh, they didn't have... Facebook, they didn't have social media, they didn't have Twitter and Instagram and all these things where you can just get on in any given moment and give your opinion and millions of people get to see it. They don't have, they didn't have those things. They didn't have telephones, telegraphs, all they had was telegossip woman and then it would spread around kind of quick, but that was really all that they had at that point. Sorry, <laughs> you know it's true though, can be. Uh, but we live in the first generation, the first generation where literally you can, you can call a travel agent as soon as you get off out of church today. And they can have you in any city in the world in 24 hours. In 24 hours, you can be anywhere in the world. I've been on the other side of the world before, preached a message, got to the airport that afternoon. I was back by dinner the next day from the other side of the world. It's amazing. We have this opportunity to go and to be people of movement. But here's the thing. Jesus was not just someone that was active for the sake of being active. It wasn't just movement or wanting to do something that drove him. He wasn't just a man of action. He was a man of conviction from his heart. Peter, Paul, Jesus, it was their heart that moved them. Not just their willingness to be active. Because a healthy heart is what moves you. I mean, literally speaking, physically speaking, it's your heart that moves you. If your heart stops beating right now, it doesn't matter how attractive you are, it's not going to matter anymore. You can be the type of person that makes Brad Pitt feel insecure. But your heart stops beating and you are simply a corpse. You could have... Perfect hair and sparkly eyes and a tuft of chest hair and a booming voice. But at the end of the day, when your heart stops beating, it isn't going to matter anymore. I like how it relates to the church as well. You know, you can have a church that has everything, seems to have everything going for the Disneyland of churches. But at the end of the day, if that church doesn't have a heart, it is an empty shell of a building and that is all. As a church, we have to have the heart of God. If we don't have his presence, we're lost. We're in big trouble without him. So everything is about the heart. The heart is what moves us. Right now, you might have some evidence of some internal battles that are indications of where your heart is at. Maybe there's that guy that we should be happy for that he got that promotion, but we can't stand that he got the promotion. It makes us mad that he got the promotion and we didn't. Maybe you, you're in a situation and you react and you say a word you know you shouldn't say. You look around immediately to make sure nobody heard you. Maybe at one point or another it's more like a 16-letter multiple word combination that's coming out of your mouth. These are all heart issues. They're indicators of the heart. You might be saying, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe that came out of my mouth. But it wasn't an isolated situation it's a reflection of what's really in your heart the word proves it we're going to be looking at today in mark chapter 7 it talks about the heart 
At this point, the religious leaders at that time, they're actually making a living off of adding new rules and new laws to the laws that were handed down to Moses from God to the people. At this point, they've added an additional 500 laws and rules to the laws that were already given. They call those laws the tradition of the elders. At one point, these religious people who are very in their mind and in their religious attitude confront Jesus because Jesus and his disciples are not obeying all these traditions and these laws the way that they think that they need to. Mark chapter 7 verse 5 says, So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, Why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony. And Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Look, it is not a good day when Jesus replies, you hypocrite, okay? It is about to go really badly for you. It's about to be a mic drop moment on you in your life, okay? And these guys, they went somewhere where they shouldn't have gone. In between, there's some really powerful verses. But let's go to how he responds because here they are in the presence of God around this man who's been doing miracles, the supernatural, and they're worried about him washing his hands before he eats. Now, I do think it's important to wash your hands, okay? The stats say that 63% of men do not wash their hands after they use the restroom. Okay, we got an issue here, people, because I want you to think about that. Next time I tell you to go give somebody a high five or a fist bump, 63% of men do not wash their hands after they go to the bathroom. That's like high five in a dirty diaper. That is just, that's just disgusting, okay? We're not talking about that, though. We're talking about the Son of God and Pharisees worrying more about his hands being clean when he eats. Have you ever asked the question, what are you going to do the first time you see Jesus? Like, what would you do if Jesus just came walking through one of those walls right now and into this room? What would you do? We wrote a song about it. I can only imagine. It talks about everything that you think you might do when that happens. I don't know what you're going to do. But I don't think that my first focus is going to be handing Jesus hand sanitizer. Like, hey, you've been shaking a lot of hands. I love you. But can you, do you mind just kind of making sure that, ew, germs, you know. But these guys, their heart is obviously not in the right place. They're focused on the outward. Jesus addresses that in verse 14. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. All of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes in your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes out of your heart. Boop. Jesus goes on to say that the heart is responsible not just for the words, but also the deeds, the actions. It's all coming from there. In verse 20, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, Come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. In other words, you can look like you're doing all the right things, but when the pressure of life comes, what is really on the inside will come out. What is in your heart will come out. So if these things are in our heart, and they come out of our hearts, what should we do? First of all, I think we need to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. What does that mean? A thousand years previous to this, Solomon talks about this in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
determines the course of your life. Okay, so here's the deal. When you get saved, when you get saved, that is an incredibly important event in your life. But it is also the beginning of the process of sanctification. You can get saved in a moment, but the process of becoming a follower of Christ takes time. The way I look at it is like this. Jesus said, I have come to the door and knock. If anyone answers, I will come in and eat with them, right? When you invite somebody over to your house, you'll open the door and have them come into your living room, maybe come to your dining table, but you're not inviting them to come check out your closet. Because your closet is a mess. There's a different level in your house and there's some other rooms that are back there that you're not really interested in them going into at that point the same thing happens with jesus we can give him access into our life but it doesn't mean that we've given him complete access into every area of our lives this takes time it takes a process and god knows that and in the meantime as we're walking through that process it's important that we guard our hearts because he's doing a work inside of us. Philippians 1.6, And I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus, when Christ Jesus returns. An indicator of this is on the subject of forgiveness. Because if I asked everybody in here right now, it's like, hey, how many of you want to be forgiven of all of your sins through Jesus on the cross, if I asked that, asked you to raise your hand, you would probably emphatically like, yeah, I want my sins forgiven. And as, as your hand was up, I said, and you also get to forgive everybody the same way that you've been forgiven. Oh. Oh. Yeah, about that. I don't know if I'm as excited about forgiving everyone the same way I've been forgiven. It's because you're in the process. You're in the process. Your, your heart hasn't been completely healed yet. Look, I can relate to that. There's times when I'll, I'll say that I've forgiven somebody, but then if I see them or something comes up, then sometimes I'm still mad. I'm still bitter. For me, it's a loyalty thing. If somebody says that they're loyal to me, but then they, they do something that shows disloyalty, then I'm like, okay, I forgive you. But a lot of times, I, it's very clear that I haven't forgiven them because I still have a hard time being around them. It's because my heart is still in the process. And as it's in that process, we have to guard our hearts. Your heart didn't get to a bad place overnight, and it's not going to get healthy and healed overnight. It's going to take some time. Number two, you've got to grow your heart. Grow your heart. Psalm 119.11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Message translation says it really cool. I have banked your promises in the vault of my heart. This is what I'm saying with this. Wanting or wishing harder to be Christ-like is not going to make you more Christ-like. There has to be an application of something in your life if you want your heart to grow the way God wants your heart to grow. There has to be an application of his word. But we have a difficult time with this in our culture because we're, we love instant gratification. And we're entitled and we feel like we should be instantly gratified in so many ways this youtube generation let me give you an example like if we saw some seven-year-old kid just totally ripping it on a guitar playing stairway to heaven we'd be like yeah four million likes and six million views and we just love that because this kid is just awesome and he's so young but we watch a 51 year old do the same thing on a guitar we're like who's this old creeper like what's he doing 
don't even understand. We don't appreciate the work and the effort that it took for the 51-year-old to learn it was probably very similar to the seven-year-old. We think we love and we romanticize about the fact that this could just happen to this kid without any effort. Like it just happened. It's just a miracle. It's amazing. We love the idea of that. And don't understand that it takes application of something. There was effort. There was time. There was sacrifice given to get to that place. I'll give you another example. 0.05% of the United States population are millionaires. Do you know what percentage of the United States population believes that they're going to be a millionaire? 86%. We're a little disillusioned, people. It's why we like things like the lottery. You have the same likelihood of a vending machine falling on you as you do winning the lottery. But we love this idea that we could just have everything fixed in an instance. And sometimes that entitlement attitude boils over into our relationship with God. Look, it's only going to be through application of the word of God that your heart is going to be able to grow. That your heart is going to be able to get to the place that God would want your heart to be. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 says, We're not meant to remain as children, but to grow up in every way into Christ. We teach this in our Connect classes, that spiritual maturity is not automatic. It's a process. It takes time. And everybody is at a different place in this process. Everybody's at a different place in this process. Matthew 12, 34 says, From the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you want your heart to grow, you want to make sure that what is in your heart and what is coming out is something a lot bigger than your own understanding of the knowledge of good and evil, but it's something that comes from the tree of life. And that can only come from his word. Psalms 25, 4 through 5 says, Show me the path where I should go, O Lord. Point out the right road for me to walk in. Lead me. Okay, so we've called... Our relationship with God a lot of times, our walk with God. You ever heard it referred, referred to as that? Our walk with God, okay? But how are you supposed to know where to walk if you can't even see the road? I think about when an ice storm comes through. I'm from the north, and so anytime any kind of weather comes through, I just sit back and laugh because people in the south are funny. They think milk sandwiches are going to get them through the apocalypse somehow. But, uh, but uh, you, you can always tell the people that are not prepared for the weather, right? They walk out of their garage, notice that their car has frost all over it, but they didn't come out and warm up their car and get it warmed up so all the ice would go away, they, they're going to get in their car and they're going to drive around with a 4 by 4 inch little space scraped over their, their steering wheel, you know, where they just found like an old CD case or something, try to, some floss, they try to just kind of scrape it out of there a little bit before they got in their car. And those are the people that are swerving all over the place and they're going to kill somebody. They cannot see the road. The word says that his word is a light unto my path a lamp into my feet. It's the application of the word of God that gives you the view of the path and the road for your walk. It's not going to happen without it. We have to apply ourselves to his word. Number three, give away your heart. This is one of the most important things we can talk about. Give away your heart. Look, every day, you're going to give what is in your heart to people. Good or bad, whatever is in your heart is going to come out. Go to a four-year-old birthday party sometime. At almost every four-year-old birthday party, there's that one kid that's the little hellion running around, right? 
He's taking cupcakes and smashing them on your window. He's breaking stuff. He's punching dads in the tenders. That's what my boys call them. And, uh, and they're, they're going crazy. And as you're watching them, you're just thinking, I would love just to get a switch off of a tree and show this kid some discipline. And right around that time, the grandma's going to come out. And she's going to be like, oh, look at him. He's, he's just the cutest. He really is a good boy. He's got a good heart. No, he doesn't. He is a spy sent by ISIS to destroy us all. He, he doesn't have a good heart. Look at him. It's obvious that what is in his heart is not good by how he's acting. Look, all of us on one level or another every day, we give what is really in our hearts. We give what is really in our hearts. On Thursday, I was driving north on 367, going the speed limit, had two to three car lengths between me and the vehicle in front of me, looked down for just a second to change the song on Pandora, looked up, traffic was stopped. Jammed on the brakes, thought about trying to swerve off to the side, oncoming traffic, tried to swerve off this side, car over here, just decided to bump the car in front of me, so I rear-ended somebody. It was a bummer. But what I realized in the moment, as soon as I hit, I've confessed to you guys, I deal with some road rage, Okay. I don't do, always do well. I mean, you've been praying for me, and I'm God, God's healing. Praise God. But, but what I was thankful for is in that moment, some of the words that might typically try to formulate and come out of my mouth, those were not the things that were there. Like, I, I was bummed, but I, for some reason, I just had a little more peace. I was able to get out. I'm so sorry. Made sure that she was okay. Actually got into a conversation. So I got a file report. I'm like, I totally understand. I would, too. Pull off to the side, waiting for the police officer. She's told me some of her stories. She's, she's just getting over cancer and prayed for her and had like this little. But that is not naturally what is inside of me. That's not what is naturally in me to give. So as I was thinking about it, I was thinking, why, what was the difference? Because I would, I'm typically not rude and mean, but I would just be like, I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to. I want to get past this. And I remember, for about the last hour, I've been listening to worship music. And so many of those worship songs, it's the word, it's scripture. And I was just spending time with that, 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 that at that time at least, that's what was in my heart. You're going to give whatever is in your heart. So the question is, how do you give what Jesus would give? Ephesians 5.2, be full of love, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself to God as a sacrifice to take away your sins. If you want to be like Jesus, then you're going to have to love the people that Jesus loves. You're going to have to care about the people that Jesus cares about. There's two things that Jesus cares a lot about. The first thing is the world. He cares about the world. He made it and he died for it. God never made a person born or unborn, that he didn't love and loved with everything that he had. So God loves the people you don't love. God loves the people you don't like. God loves the people that you think are evil. God loves the people that don't vote the same way that you vote. He loves them and he loves them the same amount as he loves you. God loves everyone. God is love. In chapter 9 of Matthew, Jesus was around a crowd of people. And it says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
In other words, just by looking at this crowd of people, he could see that they are confused and worried and burdened and bored and condemned and shameful. And his heart went out to them. His heart went out to them. He had compassion on them. Not only did Jesus love the world, but he loves his church. See, God wanted a family. So he made the church. We're his bride. How much does Jesus love the church? Well, he makes the comparison that the only way that you can really love your spouse, or specifically your wife, you've got to love her the way that he loves his bride, that you're willing to lay down your life for them. That's how much Jesus loves the church. You also have to be aware of the things that Jesus didn't care about. If you want to give your heart, you've got to care about the things that he cares about and not care about the things that he didn't really care about. Jesus was indifferent to some things. And so you may ask, is it okay as a Christian to be indifferent to some things? You better believe it. Because not everything is equally important. But you have to understand what really is important. Because some things are going to last five minutes, some things are going to last five years, some things are going to last 50 years, some things are going to last 500 years, and some things are going to last for eternity. So whatever you're giving your heart to, Jesus paid a huge price for your heart. Make sure that the value of what you give your heart to is equal to the value of the price that was given for your heart. Nothing is more important than what lasts forever. The relationships that are around you, his kingdom. There's nothing more important. Some of the things that Jesus didn't care about, he didn't care about the opinions of other people. He was offending people like crazy, especially religious people. He didn't care about human timetables. People were always trying to get him to rush and do this and do that. And He's like, look, I'm doing what my Father in heaven tells me to do, period. That's what matters. Jesus didn't care about politics. He actually said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, I would command my servants to fight. But his kingdom is in heaven. We respect the authority. We respect the system. We can respect all those things. But is it really worth fighting over? In the grand scheme of eternity? Jesus didn't care about impressing people. Ever. Ever. His family cared about it. His disciples cared about it at different points. But Jesus never cared. John 5.41 says, Your approval or disapproval means nothing to me. That's pretty punchy. His Instagram account wouldn't have been that popular, I don't think. Luke 12.15 Life is not measured by how much one owns. He knew what the real measure of success was all about. It wasn't about wealth. It was about something that was much bigger. I believe with all my heart that the things that Jesus didn't care about helped him care about the things that really mattered. In Mark 12, 30-31, he lays out what is most important. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. What if you feel like 
you don't have anything to give from your heart? What if you feel like your heart's just not worth anything, that you've made too many mistakes, your heart's too messed up? Well, then maybe it's time to gain a new heart. Every once in a while, things attach themselves to your heart. You know, you go through life and something happens, there's an explosion that happens. And it's like shrapnel gets attached to your heart. And and in time, it'll cause your heart not to work the way God intended for it to work. And to me, that's kind of like maybe you gave your life to God. Maybe you gave your heart to God. But one of those things happened. And because there's those things that have attached itself to your heart, you need to rededicate your life to him. And sometimes you just need a total heart transplant. You just need a completely new heart. And I want you to know that God wants to do that for you. No matter how messed up you feel like your heart is. God gave a promise thousands of years ago and it still applies to you today. It's in Ezekiel 36, 26. And I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. And I will take your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Psalm 51:10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Leviticus shows that there's so much detail involved in getting close to God. It was all about the outward signs, though. The New Testament, it's all about the inward signs. It's all about what Jesus did so that you could get close to him. And I want you to know that God wants your heart. He wants your heart. And it doesn't matter how messed up it is. I want to pray for you. Let's close your eyes, bow our heads. First of all, there might be some of you that can relate to maybe some things kind of getting in your heart over time. Maybe at one point you gave your heart to God, but some things have happened. It might be unforgiveness. It might be an offense of some sort. It might be your own shame, your own condemnation, your own mistakes, whatever it is. But this morning, you need to rededicate your life. Let God come in and, and, and heal that heart move those things or maybe you've just never given your heart to God you've never totally surrendered to him this morning maybe you need a completely new heart you need a heart transplant I want you to know that your heavenly father is here and he wants to give that to you if you're one of those people I want to just agree in prayer with what God's already doing inside of you if that's you just put your hand up right now over this room I want to pray for you this morning God as soon as I see you put your hand down thanks back here. Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? I just need a new heart this morning. Thanks, man. God. Yes, sir. Yes, man. Got it. Thanks. Anybody else? Thank you. Yes, man. Got it. Anybody else? Just respond to what God's speaking to you. Yes, man. I'm not going to point you out or embarrass you. I promise that I think it's just important that in faith, in action, you just confess, I need a new heart. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? God, thank you. I need a new heart. Okay. We had a bunch of hands go up. I just want to do it this way since there were so many. Let's, let's just encourage our brothers and sisters that as they pray this prayer. Let's just help them with it because some of them, you know, they... They need to be able to pray this with 
some conviction, some passion. Um, and so I think being able to pray this out loud would be important to them. So let's just all pray it together. Let's pray it with some, some boldness so that they can pray with boldness as well. Just repeat after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, for my sin. I ask for your forgiveness. Heal my heart. Give me a new one. I ask you to be my Lord, to have complete control. I want to live for you. Lead me by your word, by your spirit. I want to grow in you. Thank you for being my Lord, my Savior, my friend. Father, for all of us, I just pray that every day as we wake up in the morning, we would recognize our need for your presence. That you, Holy Spirit, would be the first person that we speak to in the morning. And as we speak to you, we would just examine our hearts, Lord. You would help us to be aware of the areas that, that we try to hide and that we'd open those things up. We'd give you full access in every corner, every room, every closet no matter how bad it is, no matter how ugly it gets, Lord, that we would give you full access into our lives. And as we walk throughout our day, that the only things that come out of us come from you. That it's not us that comes out, it's, it's actually you. Whether that's your word or, or just the fruit of your spirit, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did so that our hearts can be whole and healed and full of life. We want to continue to grow in that process, Lord. Every one of us, wherever we're at, and we thank you for the grace to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God a hand this morning. We had a bunch of people getting right. Amen. Let's all stand together.